Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. Thank you, God. Thank you for your wholeness. Thank you for your wonder. Thank you for your might. Thank you for your goodness and your joy. We celebrate who you are, Jesus. It doesn't have to be Easter. It's the most important day of the year for us as Christians, but we celebrate you every day. The tomb is always empty. You're always on the throne, and we, we glorify your name. We thank you. Thank you in advance for the beautiful things that you're up to. And we choose to celebrate. We choose to partner and co-labor with you as your body. Um, yeah, we follow the head. And so we give you tonight, we give you our hearts, give you this family in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I, we're going to finish talking about uh, anointing, faith, and fasting leading up to a church-wide 30-day fast. We're going to start here at Reunion on April 15th. We'll go April 15th to May 15th. We're going to talk about that, but before we get to it, I've, I've really been processing some things. By the way, exciting announcements coming up, not tonight, but I just want to tease you knowing that there's some really big news coming. And as we were meeting about this big news, one of the thoughts that has just been coming up over and over and over in my mind, uh, it's, it's grieving to me. And I'm not, I'm not here to grieve, but I feel like that this is something that we get to walk through together as a family. This is something that we're going to walk through as a house. And it's the idea that I'm not interested in us being agents of breakthrough because of business strategies. I'm interested in holiness, and I'm interested in purity. And whatever he wants to do with holiness and purity, we're going to say yes to. But I, I feel like the, the Lord is, especially on this upcoming fast, he's going to make us very desperate and very hungry for purity. And I'm just telling you as the senior pastor that reunion is and will be known as a place of purity where other agendas aren't allowed in, just the one thing. That's the reason why we're here. And, you know, it's this thought, it's sobering, but it is a real thought that if it's not pure, I don't want it. And I hope that that's your heart. Um, I'm not interested in mostly pure. I'm not interested in some level of purity. I'm not interested in well, there's a little bit of pure here and a little bit of impure there. No, I don't want it, and I think it's because he doesn't want it. I've been grieved lately. I've been grieved about things not happening within this house, thank God. But I just keep coming back to this idea that he isn't looking for these agents of strategy. He isn't looking for that. He's looking for agents of glory. There's one way to stir his heart, and it's through pursuit of him. It's to love him. And love is a strategy and I, I feel like I, I actually love strategy. I love talking about, well, how do we figure this out? How do we do that? But I feel like the bride has sometimes made an idol out of strategy. And we put it on a throne on Sundays. And we actually worship this idol. You know, I keep coming back. How many of our favorite Bible stories happened because of strategy? None of them. How many world-shaking revivals, Azusa Street, Hebrides, the, Wel the Welsh Revival, 
um, the first and second grade, how many of those happened because of strategy? None of them. They happened because people were willing vessels. They happened because people pursued the one thing and the one thing alone. I'm grieved when we rely on strategy. Strategy is not bad. God loves strategy. He gives us strategy. But I'm not going to use strategy as the thing to put people in the seats at church on Sundays. We're not going to use strategy um, as the basis for evangelism. We're not going to use strategy to get people to come on Easter Sunday, as important as Easter Sunday is. We're not going to use strategy in leading our flocks. We've committed our lives sometimes to learning business strategies from the business world instead of committing our lives to being led by the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you right now, we will be a church that's led by the Holy Spirit. We will be. And he's better than a strategy. Strategies become foolishness to him because he loves to show up in the unlikeliest of ways That goes against the strategy of man. He is not afraid to use the foolish things to shame the wise. He loves it. He gets a kick out of it. I'm desperate. I'm desperate to offer him the most pure sacrifice available. I'm desperate to give him something that is so pure, he says, I can rest on that. I can use those people. I was reminded this week in 1 Samuel when uh, King Saul is instructed by the prophet Samuel to make this offering. And Samuel tells him, hey, wait seven days and then make this offering, do this thing. And he waited and he waited. And after seven days, Samuel doesn't come and Saul gets impatient and he decides to make this sacrifice. And the prophet shows up right when Saul is making this sacrifice. And he says, what are you doing? He says, you have acted foolishly. You've acted foolishly. And what Samuel does is he prophesies over King Saul because of Saul's foolishness that he's going to lose his throne and that he's going to replace replace Saul with a man who's after God's own heart. Listen to me. This This is the hard part that I feel like so many times people miss. Saul had the right offering, but he made it the wrong way. He actually did the thing that Samuel told him to do, but because his heart, was, his heart was off, it cost him his calling, it cost him his destiny. And very vulnerable, transparent moment. I don't care what the church up the street is doing. I care what God is doing on the face of the planet today, and we're going to join in with whatever he's doing. I care about his heart and his agenda and what he wants to do, and the Lord actually rejects appropriate offerings that are brought with inappropriate hearts. Yeah, but that's how you do church. You got to do this, this, and this. I don't care if that's how you do church. If our hearts aren't right, if our hearts aren't pure when it comes to this thing, we're not going to touch that. We're going to function out in purity. We're not going to have this cost us our calling and our destiny. Purity is, is so important. You know, Martha wasn't doing the wrong thing when Jesus came to her house And she's scrambling around trying to get things prepared for him. She wasn't doing anything wrong. She was doing the right thing, but it was the wrong time. And she was doing the right thing with the wrong heart. She said, Jesus, don't you care that I'm doing all this work that you didn't ask for? Don't you care? And Jesus just looks at Mary and says, Mary has chosen the better portion. And it's this privilege won't be, of being undistracted. It won't be taken from her. Mary chose to sit at his feet and she chose proximity over doing the right things, the right things. 
because of her heart, what she was doing was the right thing. She chose the purity of adoration over making the house look a certain way. I think that the Lord actually is having an invitation tonight for people who want greater levels of purity in their life. And I mean purity of heart. I mean the purity from distraction. Being able to look the Lord in his eyes and say, Jesus, I only gave you what you asked for. I gave you everything out of love. I did nothing out of religious duty. I did nothing because that's what I was told I had to do. I just gave you my heart. He's longing for that. He's longing for that, and he wants that. If that's you, raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah, he said like 90% of the church is going to raise their hand. So Jesus, come get what you paid for. Come bless this house. Come give away uh, the things that you've paid for. Let sacrifice just fall off of people right now. That, that, that the idol of making things look a certain way. Purify this house. Purify our hearts. This is what you came for. And G listen, Jesus always gets what he comes for. So Jesus, come get what you, come, what you came for. Get this purity. Get this prize. Get this reward. Get this house. Jesus, there's a longing unfulfilled for a pure heart. Yeah, deliver it tonight. Answer the cry of their heart tonight, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we spent some time uh, last week really dissecting Matthew 6. We're going to look in Matthew 6 again. And the focus over the past couple of weeks was um, that God is in secret, God is in secret, he sees in secret, and then he rewards in secret. God is secret, he likes the secret place. And we're headed into 30 days uh, of fasting as a church family. And next week, I know it's Easter, we're gonna spend the last few minutes of the service uh, talking about some prayer points and talking about what this fast is and what we're gonna do as a family together. And can I just point out that Jesus expects his bride to fast? This is part of the deal. This is part of the, the thing that we signed up for when we died and rose with him, had a new life. Fasting was part of his style, lifestyle and therefore it's part of our lifestyle. And I want to get back into Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we, we skimmed through this part last week, but I want to look at this closer. Um, in Matthew 6, starting in verse 16, Jesus says, whenever you fast... Not if you fast, if it works for you, if it's on your calendar and you decide to do it. No, he says, whenever you fast. In other words, when you are fasting, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your heavenly Father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Where is he rewarding you based upon? The secret. Do you remember earlier in Matthew 6 where Jesus says that we need to store up our rewards? Is it on earth or in heaven? Heaven. He says store up for yourselves heavenly rewards. Why does he do that? The reason is because heavenly rewards are eternal. Heavenly rewards are are everlasting. Earthly rewards are temporary. Are they good? Sure. There's a lot of great rewards that you can get on this planet. And God actually wants you to have rewards. We talked about this last week. 
It's just he clarifies and says, I don't want you to have any old reward. I want you to have the type of reward that is unending and eternal. And I want you to store these up for yourself. Did you know that fasting brings us into this eternal, unending reward? There's a reward that you'll still be living in, enjoying 10 billion now, years from now because of what you did now. You'll have a reward there. It might cost us in this lifetime for a moment, but it's worth the cost. So in Matthew 6, or yeah, Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, it talks about fasting. And then immediately after talking about fasting, so fasting is the context, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are the first two words of that up there on the screen? Do not. He says, do not do this. And then a few words later, he says, but store up. In other words, don't do this, but do this. Agree? Does that sound optional? Or does that sound like a command? Do not, but do this. Sounds like a command to me. Do you understand? Get ready because we're going to find out who has a poverty mindset in the room really quickly here. That it's a command to store up rewards for yourself in heaven. Rewards are actually a good thing. I, I know that's news to some of you. Rewards are good. And Jesus commands you to actually stockpile them for yourselves so that they're waiting for you. And if Jesus, or Jesus commands us to do something, I'm going to be obedient to that. In Matthew 6, Jesus is very clear at the beginning of the chapter. We looked at this last week. He's very clear that it's a bad thing if you don't receive rewards. It's actually a punishment to the unrighteous that they either won't receive rewards or they will receive all their rewards, but they'll all be in this lifetime and they won't have any eternal long-lasting rewards. It's a bad thing not to have rewards stored up for you. And we looked at how many times in Matthew 6 God says that he's looking to give us rewards. Over and over, he's saying, I want to give you rewards, but... God says, I'm in secret. I see what's in secret, and I reward based what's on secret. I don't reward you based on what you've done publicly. I reward you based on what happens between you and me when no one else is around, when no one else is listening, when there's no one to impress, when you don't need to put on a show. That's where you actually earn your rewards, in the secret place. You might receive your reward in public, but you earned it in private. The problem is that so many believers have been taught that it's, it's humility to not be interested in rewards. Oh, Jesus is enough. Well, the one who is enough commands you to stockpile your rewards, okay? It's not selfish to seek a reward. It's obedient to the most precious one in all of the universe, Jesus. It's obedience to him to pursue a reward. Are you uncomfortable? Because I'm really uncomfortable not hearing anybody amen this. I'm like, it's just reading scripture. I don't know what else to tell you. Oh my gosh, Jesus, just you and me tonight, man. Okay. Listen, if rewards 
are scary or if they seem prideful, like, I don't want to store up rewards. That's, you know, I don't need that. That reveals that we're thinking with our minds and not our hearts. It reveals that we're thinking with our flesh and not our spirit. The flesh can't understand the things of the spirit. That's why biblically God always teaches our hearts, not our minds. So why are we talking about this? How does this relate to fasting? Well, because fasting brings reward. And another way of saying that is that fasting will bring harvest. Fasting is related to the spiritual principle of sowing and reaping. Fasting is under that umbrella. And we've talked a lot in the past, over the past year, about God's laws and his principles, how they work, they succeed. He's never designed a faulty law or a faulty plan. All of his plans work. And when we set kingdom principles into place in our lives, if we follow those principles, we will yield success. The principle of sowing and reaping is actually initiated and started off in Genesis chapter 1. When God makes the heavens and the earth, um, God gave us this divine law of the kingdom that says that everything produces after its own kind. In Genesis 1, God creates all the animals, all the creatures, and then he makes mankind and he tells all of them, be fruitful and multiply, reproduce, make more. And one of the first things that God shows us is that everything with life reproduces after its own kind. And he tells the livestock, he says, you reproduce after your own kind. And this pattern starts to emerge where trees produce trees. Uh, Sheep produce sheep. Fish produce fish. And here's the crazy part. Even God then reproduces after his own kind. He looks at the planet and he makes man and he says, let us make man according to our image. Let us reproduce something in our own kind. Psalm says that we're made just a little bit lower than God. We're higher than the angels because we've been reproduced after his own kind. And so when God shows up and all these living things start to reproduce after their own kind, the trees, the sheep, the fish, now God reproduces after his own kind. And you have to understand, God is king. He's ruler. He's this creative being that just literally formed the expanses of the universe. And he immediately, he makes man And he makes man to rule over the planet because God's the ruler and he reproduces after his own kind. And he makes man to have dominion over the whole planet because God has all authority and he reproduces after his own kind. And then he has man be this creative being. Um, Hey, Adam, go name all the animals. Why would he do something like that? Because God is creative and he reproduces after his own kind. Does this make sense? This is, it's the same principle about how fasting works. Fasting is planting of spiritual seeds that are attached to physical actions. You may do it in your flesh, but I'm telling you, it's not a fleshly thing you're doing. It's a spiritual act. Fasting works. It's one of his laws. It succeeds. It never fails. And God always causes spiritual seeds to grow. God is a gardener. He started in a garden. You know, he likes the gardens. God causes spiritual seeds to grow, and the seed of fasting is prioritizing spiritual hunger. That's the seed. 
And when we prioritize true hunger, which is spiritual, and we, we set aside lesser hunger, which is the physical, this actually requires an act of faith. This is why the world um, would look at us fasting and say, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? That doesn't change anything. Well, maybe not in the physical, but this isn't a physical act. It's a spiritual one that has a physical act attached to it. It actually requires faith to walk out this process of sowing and reaping through fasting. Do you know that faith is actually really important in our lives? We're called the righteousness of Christ, and God says that the righteous, you, will live by faith. Not live by food, not live by water, not live by bread, not live by anything, but you'll live by faith. When we plant these spiritual seeds by putting the fleshly needs aside, it will yield spiritual fruit. It's a one-to-one -one correspondence. It will happen. It's a promise. And I think that fasting is a priority issue. Um, it's not wrong to have physical needs. It's not wrong to have material needs. God actually loves to supply for your needs. He names himself Jaira. What does Jaira mean? Provider. Did you know that God loves to be your provider? You don't have to feel shame for being hungry. You don't have to feel shame for needing a place to stay. But in the context of Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking, he is very, very clear that it's the pursuit of spiritual things that actually brings us the physical and the material blessings. Do you understand? Often it's the pursuit of spiritual blessings that brings a physical blessing as well. I, I went to this church once. Uh, I love it. It's a place that I've um, traveled to many times over the years. And when I went there, I was having some physical problems with my shoulder. I had torn a rotator cuff, and um, I was in a lot of pain. I was losing sleep. You know, you can't lay on your side. You got to roll over, and you're tossing and turning all night. And when I went to this church, I remember thinking, wow, a lot of people get healed here. And I know that if I go get somebody to pray for me, I'll have a, there's a very good chance that I'm going to get healed. So there, there was a church service, and after the church service, my plan was to get out of my seat, or sit in, sitting way in the back, was to get out of my seat and go to the front and find some prayer ministers to pray for me and see if today was the day my shoulder was going to get healed. Well, the service ended, and probably my favorite speaker of all time was speaking and he just finished up and I stood up to go find a prayer minister to pray for me and um, the pastor walked down off the stage and I just happened to look as I was kind of making my way over to the prayer team I looked and he was by himself and I thought wow that's crazy that people aren't just surrounding him wanting to talk to him so as soon as I saw that he was by himself I didn't even have to think. I just beelined it over to him because my thought was, I don't know how many times I'm ever going to be able to ask this man to like pray over me and like, you know, just say hi to him. So I ran over there. I said, hey, my name is Sam. Love what you're doing here, etc. Would you be willing to pray for me? He says, sure. He gives me this quick prayer, 10 second prayer. Um, didn't feel anything. Didn't have, you know, the angels blowing their horns and all that stuff. It was just a really nice, short, 10-second prayer. 
And as soon as he was done, I saw that the prayer ministry team was available. So I went over there. They prayed for me and um, nothing happened, at least that I could discern. Sometimes healing is a process that begins when people pray for you. Um, I didn't feel anything. It still hurt. I couldn't move my arm in all the ways I wanted to. Well, the next day, uh, I decided to go to the prayer house on campus and I just wanted to be with the Lord. Um, at the time, I was on worship teams. And at my church, we always did communion during worship. So we were always playing songs while the congregation took communion. So I realized I hadn't taken communion in like three years because I was always up here and communion was down there. So I thought, I want to take communion with the Lord. Uh, I'm just, I'm desperate to be with him. I just want, um, I just want more. I just want to be, um, I want to feel his presence. I want to be right with him. I want to know that he's beside me. And so I go in there, I have this beautiful time of communion, you know, 15, 20 minutes. It wasn't all day. And as I was leaving the prayer house to walk back to my car, I realized that my shoulder wasn't hurting. And so I started swinging my shoulder around, trying to do things that would normally just kill and hurt and be so painful, but I couldn't make it hurt at all. And I remember thinking this, it didn't feel like my shoulder was better, it felt like my shoulder was new. I felt like I had a new shoulder, like it was like, yeah. And so as I'm, yeah, praise the Lord. As I'm sitting there doing, you know, flapping my arms around like a lunatic, thank God like the parking lot was empty. It was just me and Jesus once again, just like tonight. No, I'm kidding. Um, I asked the Lord, like, hey, why did my shoulder just get healed? Like, I, I had people pray for me all week long. I had them pray at church. Like, I'm, I'm thrilled, but help me understand. Give me the answer. Like, I want to know what's happening. And he said, Sam, because you chose the spiritual blessing that day, I'm going to give you the physical blessing as well. And I'm telling you, that's how it works with God. When you begin to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness first. All these other things will be added to you. In Matthew 6, this chapter that we're going through, um, I want you to listen as we continue going through this. And we're going to start in just a second going through Matthew 6, verse 25. But again, the context is fasting. Jesus just talked about when you fast, don't look gloomy. Don't put you know, this stuff on your face. Put oil on your head so that they don't know you're fasting. And then right after talking about fasting, he talks about not allowing money to become our master. It's an interesting connection there that we're going to make over the next few weeks. So he goes from talking about fasting immediately to talking about how it combats this desire to idolize money. And then we come up to one of the most famous passages in scriptures, probably top three for me of, man, if I only had this to chew on on a desert island, I would take this passage. Let's go to Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Jesus says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, not, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life, more, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you 
that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that is what you need, that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, or seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. God cares about your physical needs. Clearly, clearly he cares about your physical needs. And when we talked last week about God being provider, again, that's his name, that's his nature, that's what he does, it's what he loves. Guess what the greatest capital P provider of all time wants to do with you? Provide, right? It's his joy and it's his delight to provide for you. He knows your needs. We just looked at a whole bunch of them. And then in verse 33, put up that last slide one more time, that last sentence. What he says is that our physical needs being met in our lives is not the result of physical seeds being planted, but it's the result of spiritual seeds being planted. Isn't that interesting? This is a kingdom principle where the sowing of a spiritual seed often leads to the harvest of both spiritual and natural blessing. Why? It's because the spiritual is the greater reality. And what he stirs up in the spiritual often manifests in the physical. And if you're worried about food or clothing or housing or finances, because that's what the context of Matthew 6 is, Jesus makes it very simple for us. Seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness, and all of your physical needs will be added to you because of a spiritual seed that you planted. If we sow into his kingdom, he'll sow into ours. If we sow into his righteousness, he will sow into ours. He will add to it. It's very simple, and yet we miss it so many times. Fasting is the sowing of spiritual seeds. In Galatians 6, it says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. God is so good that he's saying it's a law of his kingdom that if we sow spiritually, we will reap in the spirit. And the reward will come with it because he's a rewarder. And often there's a physical overflow from the spiritual provision. Remember, Jesus just spent like two-thirds of a chapter in Matthew 6 talking about rewards and how he's a rewarder. And he sees in secret, he, he rewards in secret, Fasting is a secret place activity that reward is attached to. Re reward is attracted to fasting. People say, I don't need that. I just fast for him. Stop trying to be humble. It's not working. That's actually pride. Don't fight something he's trying to give you, okay? 
we, we talked about this last week. Let me review for two minutes in case anybody wasn't here. But we said that when Israel was in the wilderness, they fed on what fell. But when they were in the promised land, they fed off of what flowed. Do you remember this? Okay. In the wilderness, manna fell. But in the promised land, milk and honey actually flowed. And that thing that fell in the wilderness was designed to be a seasonal blessing. But the thing that flowed in the promised land was meant to be an inheritance. It was designed to be everlasting. It was God's desire that his kids would always forever feed off of that which was flowing. And again, we read the same offering announcement or um, reading this week as we did last week. It works perfectly because we're going to talk about being trees again. Psalm chapter 1 says that we are trees. We're, we're these trees of righteousness. And trees aren't, they're plants, right? But they're not dependent on rain. They're dependent on water. You know, we have plants in our house that never get rained on but we water them because they're dependent on water. Well, it's the same thing. If, if you're a tree, which you are, you're an oak of righteousness, you don't actually need rain. It's a blessing when rain, I was out in my yard doing yard work today. My trees are blessed by the rains, but where they actually are nourished is from being attached to a source that flows. And if you are a tree, what's at the very, very bottom of trees? Roots. Your roots, it's actually harder for rain to get to the roots than it is for your roots to attach to a flowing source. We need to be connected to the source of the flow, and it's through our roots. Listen, Psalm 1, I'm just going to repeat a couple of these verses. This is how the Lord says that all who follow the Lord and his ways will thrive in all seasons. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The leaf never withers if the tree is planted close enough to the river. Have you ever been to a desert or a very dry place and it's just wasteland, sand, rocks, nothing, and there's a river flowing through it? What's growing beside the river? Trees, plants, bushes. Even though anywhere else in that region, there's nothing growing. It's desolate. It's because they found the source. They actually have become non-reliant on what falls and are completely connected to by, by what flows. Proximity to the flow brings life, okay? We are invited into this lifestyle of being attached directly to the source. We need to be fed by the river and not the rain, and fed by what flows, not by what falls. Okay, so let's talk about fasting. Fasting actually is something that brings us closer to what flows. Fasting, when we die to natural hunger and prioritize spiritual hunger, God will always feed spiritual hunger. He will always meet that need, always. He'll give you what you're hungry for, that's why we prayed for purity tonight. It's because if you're actually hungry for that, he will deliver. That's one of his laws. The kingdom of God, we've mentioned this dozens of times, always seems upside down to the world. Up is down, left is right. To live, you have to die. To be first, you have to be last. In the kingdom, fasting is actually feasting. In the kingdom, fasting is actually feasting. I think that fasting is actually the number one way to nourish your soul. Might not nourish your stomach, 
but it will nourish your soul. And people say, wait, how does that work? It's because fasting is related to the law of sowing and reaping. Fasting is not about withholding from food. That's not the point of fasting. Fasting is about feasting on the fullness of Christ. Listen to this out of Isaiah 55. This is a messianic prophecy. Isaiah is talking about Jesus, and Jesus actually quotes this and references this uh, passage several times. It says, why do you spend money on what is not bread? And, and your wages for things that don't satisfy. What does Jesus call himself? The what of life? Bread. The bread of life. Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your wages for what does not actually satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Do you think that this passage is actually talking about eating food? Physically, fasting, physically, fasting is spiritually feasting. Coming to the source is coming to him and eating what is good. That's what fasting actually does for us, coming to the source and delighting ourselves in his abundance. Fasting allows our spirit to feast on the one thing that actually satisfies. It's costly. You will likely be hungry when you fast. Have you ever fasted? Guess what? Hunger comes with it. But which hunger is more important, physical or spiritual? Which has a greater reward attached to it? Spiritual. Let's go to Acts 13. Say while. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The Holy Spirit will often speak to us during or immediately after fast. My history, uh, since grad school, I have made fasting a lifestyle, uh, and my history is that fasting is miserable, and then the minute I stop fasting, God just sends so much blessing, it's overwhelming. And I've learned it's not like I'm a masochist. I'm like, yeah, this is, I love this pain. No, it's not like that. It still is miserable. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm hungry all the time, even when I'm not fasting. <laughs> but I'm, I'm here to tell you that he is the reward and he will speak to us usually at the end or right after a fast. And he rewards us because he's the reward. He will reward us with his voice. He will reward us with his voice. That's the reward so many times from fasting. It's happening right here in Acts chapter 13. And we've spent time recently talking about what we call the now voice of God. The now voice is God. How it's, it's so important, not just to us think, to, for us to think generationally, like what is God doing in my generation, but what is he doing right now in this minute, in 2023? What is he doing? His voice is what changes things, right? We, ask Isaac. Because Abraham heard God's voice and said, go sacrifice your son. And then just a very, very short time later, six or seven verses later, he says, don't touch the boy. Isaac is very grateful for the now word of the Lord. 
okay? Think about the disciples. We talked about this last week. The disciples fishing twice all night, no results, not a single fish. And then Jesus spoke. The voice was given to them. And the obedience to the voice brought the fruit that was previously fruitless. Fasting is proof that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Something like fasting that makes us physically weak actually leads us to huge spiritual strengthening. And so in this sense, fasting is actually one of the greatest spiritual weapons that we have in our possession. Fasting, while we may feel weaker in our flesh, it trains us to lean on his power and his might. It removes the deception that we can do anything apart from him. It removes the deception that we're okay without him, you know? When we fast, it's like telling the Lord that I will choose to pursue the one who actually brings me strength. I will come and I will eat and I will feast on your abundance. I will prioritize my physical desire over my fleshly one. And because fasting uh, empties us, empties us of this dependence on ourself. Like, I will feed myself. Well, now I'm dependent on him being my bread and my source. Fasting is this wonderful purifier. You ever want to, like, have the Lord um, speak to you and show you, like, hey, Lord, is there anything I need to work on? Go on a fast. He'll show you really quick. Fasting is submitting and recognizing God as our everything, both physically and spiritually. Do you remember, this was months, if not a year ago, we talked about the seven redemptive names of God in the Old Testament and how they cover every single human need that we could ever have. God names himself these seven redemptive names because he is the solution to every need that we will ever have. There's actually nothing as a human being that we can ever need or desire that he isn't the ultimate fulfillment of. The names of God are always revealing of his nature and his promises. It's who he is. It's what he does. It's what he's like. It's what he wants to do without exception. He never names himself something that he's like, you know, I'm Jaira, but only sometimes. Or I don't really like to, but I guess I'll name myself Jaira for your sake. No, he loves it. He delights in it. It's his will to do those things. And you can't separate him from his nature. If his name is something, that's who he is, and that's it, that's all. You can't separate him from that. And God could have picked any names he wanted. He's God, he's all creative, he has a billion, trillion, zillion names, but he picked seven as his redemptive names. And we know that that word redemptive, anything considered redemptive, always points to Jesus as the fulfillment. So I know this is a little bit of review, but I want to show you this slide um, with the seven redemptive names of God. So we have Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. In other words, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. It's like Emmanuel, God with us. God is always Shammah. He is always there. That's what he wants. He is always Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Why? Because he's the Prince of Peace. It's who he is. He calms our souls. He brings wholeness to us, body, soul, spirit. He is Jehovah Ra'ah. The Lord is my shepherd because he's our comforter. He's our protector. He brings us to still waters. He brings us to wonderfully green fields to graze in. He stays near. We're familiar because we're his sheep. We're familiar with his voice. 
He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. There isn't a single need that he doesn't have the provision for, physically, spiritually, emotionally. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. He marks us as his territory. Did you know when the devil looks at us, he's sad because, oh, they've been marked as his territory. I don't have permission to go there. He covers us with his love. It's always a banner of love. And he establishes himself over us because he's Nisi. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. He cleanses us. He redeems us. He traded our sin for his righteousness. He, he became the, the lens that God now sees us through because he's Sidkenu. He makes us co-heirs with Christ because now we walk in Christ's righteousness. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you because he paid for our physical healing on his way to the cross. It's in the atonement. When he said, it is finished, it includes the finalization of the promise and the covenant to heal his children. He says, healing is the children's bread. Are you his child? Then come to me and eat of food that will actually satisfy, and it's healing in that case. The names of God, these names, seven names, reveal God's redeeming nature. God revealed himself progressively through scripture. If you read starting in Genesis, and if you actually read the books in chronological order, not just the order they are in your Bibles, you will see that he reveals himself more and more and more until Jesus shows up. And then he says, that's actually everything that I am. He is the complete fulfillment of God on earth in the flesh. He's the exact representation, Hebrews 1.3 says. All of God's names are his nature and promises over us, and they're fulfilled in Jesus. And because Jesus is the full representation of God in the flesh, then if we see a name of God, then that is actually what Jesus walked out and promises to us as his his beloved. Because these are redemptive names, and anything redemptive points to the Redeemer. The atonement and what Jesus paid for include these, these redemptive names of God. And it's interesting that his redemptive names of himself use the word Jehovah. You know, he has many different names that he calls himself, but he chooses Jehovah as the redemptive names. The word Jehovah, the name Jehovah, means the self-existent one who reveals himself. So every time he says, I am Shama," he's saying, let me reveal myself to you. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm there. Nice to meet you. I'm Shalom. I'm peace. He's revealing himself. These seven redemptive names point to this continual and increasing self-revelation that lead up to Jesus Christ. And these seven redemptive names reveal him as the one who meets every single one of our needs in our lost state. That's why these are the redemptive names. Because once we have him, we're no longer lost, we're found. And we have all of these things because of what Jesus paid for. These seven names, if you want to just bring them all together into one, it's like God saying, hi, I am God. I am the answer to everything you'll ever need, everything you'll ever want. There's nothing, nothing out there that I am not the satisfying answer to. And when we fast, what we're saying is we love you, Lord, more than anything in the world, and we look to you as the source of every need. Everything that we need is you. You're the answer. 
And fasting, it's, it's this act of trusting that he is who he says he is. And it's this act where we're putting our faith in him as the answer to all of our questions, all of the impossibilities, all of our reliance, we're putting on him. It may have a physical act attached to it, but I'm telling you, it's a spiritual reality. And when we do this, he always comes through. All of God's promises are no and amen. They're yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He always comes through. So when you fast, listen, listen very carefully. All you, never mind. All you people who don't want to listen carefully. When you fast, you better expect rewards. He is a rewarder. He wants to reward you. He is in secret. He sees what's in secret, and he rewards in secret. He says, store up for yourselves things that will not rust, that the moth won't destroy. But do this. Expect these rewards for yourself. When you fast, some of your rewards are you will hear his voice more clearly. He loves giving you his voice. You will start having dreams and visions. You will start having revelation of scripture. I mean, Daniel, the prophet Daniel prepared himself to receive a revelation from the Lord by fasting. He said, oh, I better get ready to hear the Lord. Let me go ahead and just go all spiritual hunger and not worry about my physical hunger. Fasting is this key breakthrough piece that gets us to hear what he's trying to tell us that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And again, going back to Matthew 6 from our text, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Just say it out loud. Father, I want the rewards. It's completely healthy and childlike because we're called to be childlike when we fast to expect an encounter with the rewarder. It's literally what Jesus is saying. Like, hey, when you fast, dot, 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 your father's gonna reward you because he's in the secret with you. Uh, the Lord asked me to fast for about two months to start the year, a, a specific kind of fast. And again, like, it's not my favorite, just gonna be honest, in the flesh, I'd rather do other things like eat food. But the minute he told me to break that fast, I started having, I was telling our Kingdom Living students, I started seeing the Lord in ways I've never seen him. He showed me stuff. I was riding into church tonight with Leah, and I was like, I don't even have the words to explain what he showed me, so I'm not even going to bother trying. Um, and it's not because I'm so high and mighty. You guys have all done the same exact thing and had the same rewards given to you, but it was because he said, okay, you were obedient in this. Here's my voice. My voice makes things really fruitful. When you attach to what flows, you will have signs and wonders. You will see in the spirit. You will have things that you don't have words for. And I want to tell you that he is the true reward. And when you sow spiritual seeds through fasting, he will draw near to you. He promises that. He promises that when we ask, we will what? Receive. And when we seek, we will find. And when we knock, the door will be those aren't suggestions. He's not saying, I might do that. He's saying, I will do that. Give me your heart. Give me your physical desires. Give me your physical hunger and watch me satisfy your spiritual hunger. And with that comes rewards. And a lot of times that reward has a physical overflow of the spiritual. Fasting is one of the most incredible keys of our possession. Um, one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 25, 2. 
It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. I'm convinced that God hides things on the other side of fasting that he is wildly excited for us to find. But it's on the other side of that. It's on the other side of fasting. I think that a lot of us have a destiny that oftentimes is on the other side of fasting when we seek the king above our physical needs. Again, he knows our physical needs. He's very aware. He knows this is costly. And if it wasn't costly, he wouldn't put reward on the other side. Fasting will absolutely destroy strongholds in your life. Fasting will absolutely absolutely bring clarity to his will in our lives. Fasting will absolutely open spiritual doors that need to be open. It will close other doors. It will open doors in the physical. Because fasting is an act of faith, it's, an act, it's a physical act of a spiritual reality called faith. There's always rewards, always. It's a promise that he makes. And he hides things for us in our future that are actually unlocked in fasting now. Oh God, I've been, you know, I've wanted this for 30 years. Okay, but have you ever like put that desire on the shelf and just fasted and sought his face? Maybe he's waiting for that to happen. I think that so many of our future rewards are unlocked by our now obedience. And again, as a church family, this is our journey. It's like we're in a shopping mall. It's like we're taking the whole family across the mall from Dillard's to Macy's. Certain things can't come with us. Certain things have to be left behind for where he's wanting us to go. But other things we have to actually bring with us, things he wants to equip us with. Um, I think fasting is one of those things. If you don't already live a lifestyle of fasting, this isn't a 30-day fast that we're doing just so that we can say, hey, once a year we do like this big old fast. No, this is a lifestyle opportunity. For us, this is, this is something that we're going to do together. But the expectation, like what Jesus says, is whenever you fast on your own, do this, this, and this. We're going to do it as a family, but the expectation is that you live a fasted lifestyle. Now, don't get nervous. It's not a complete 30-day fast where we're all going to come back like 30 pounds lighter. Um, I'll explain this more next week, but essentially what we're going to do is a partial fast for 30 days where we're going to, um, what I felt like the Lord say for us to do as a house, if you're physically able, um, if you choose to do something else, that's okay. It's not the physical act that makes this spiritual. It's the spiritual seeds and it's our heart that makes this beautiful and acceptable in his sight. So if you say like, I actually feel called to a different fast, do, do whatever he says you need to do. You're his sheep. You're, you hear his voice. You have permission to follow the cloud in your own house. Um, but as a family, as a group as a church family as reunion um the i'm gonna throw out a starting point that if you want to do this i feel the lord really on this is that um you can eat when you first get up and you can then eat when it's later in the evening time for bed but i felt like for me what he put me on for two months was a um essentially like a daylight fast if the sun's up don't eat um if this oh i'm just thinking of that if the sun's up seek the sun oh that's it's not that catchy, but it's okay. It's okay. For on the spot, that was okay. Whoops. Um, Fasting is going to help us eliminate things that can't come with us on this journey. He's, he's taking us to beautiful places. And uh, the things that he's going to ask us to leave behind, maybe they're costly, but it's worth the cost. It's worth leaving them behind. And um, as a house... Um, I feel like some of our major breakthroughs are on the other side of fasting, 
on the other side of this step of faith. So um, I'm excited about Easter, about celebrating uh, Jesus rising and canceling our debts and uh, becoming the seven redemptive names of himself to us. I'm excited that this is the day we celebrate that it is finished and um, you know, the cross is beautiful, but the cross isn't actually the most important part. It's the rising again that's the most important part. And uh, because of that, we get to have new life and we get to have an eternity with him. So uh, invite your friends, invite your family. It's going to be a fun week next week. Not because, honestly, people get excited and say, oh, we have like 27 new things we're doing for Easter. Listen, if he's here, that's the win. That's why we're here in the first place. And I'm not going to put anything into place um, for newbies or guests that we're not going to do later. Like, we're, we're coming to gather around him. And I would say, especially on probably the most holy day of the year, why would we add anything that isn't completely pure and completely holy? Why wouldn't we just purely seek him on that day and glorify him and celebrate him? Is that okay? Yeah, he's, he's big on to purity. Um, let's do this. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss us. And then we're going to have a time of prayer ministry. Um, people have actually been coming up to some of our people tonight and asking for ministry. I'm going to have, um, in just a minute, just our reunion prayer ministers. People have gone through our prayer ministry training. Come up to the front. Um, you're absolutely welcome to hang out and pray with your neighbor at your seat. We just ask that this isn't a conversation place. The, the world out there, the world of conversation is way bigger than this place that we're just really trying to give the Lord and make sure it's consecrated and not a lot of interruptions. Um, but let's, let's pray. So, Father, thank you. Thank you how good you are. Thank you, Jesus, that you have brought every source of light, everything that is in heaven, you've, you've made known to us. Thank you that you are the exact representation of God the Father here on earth. And we celebrate the fact that we are actually seated next to you in heavenly places, that we don't have to wait for you to come and get us, that we're already with you. The Bible says that you're in us and we're in you. You don't get any closer, so we celebrate you, Jesus, your nearness right now. If you're not, reach out your hands right now because he's very near to you. This church coming together as the church is not about formal stuff that it's not like, oh, we, we pray at the end. No, you meet with him. And if you're going to meet with him, you need to treat him like he's actually in the room because he's in the room. So Jesus, we literally reach out to touch you. We literally reach out to celebrate your goodness. And I saw some of the little ones holding the, the palm branches and thank you, God, that you rode in on that donkey to fulfill prophecy. Thank you, God, that you had a triumphal entry. And so, Father, we, we throw our branches before you. We throw our crowns before you. We glorify your name, Jesus. You're the only one that we're here for. You are the true reward. Thank you that your nature is rewarder. And we rebuke the lie that says receiving reward is prideful or selfish. It's not, Jesus. It's literally the most humble thing we can do is say yes when you're handing us something. So we say yes to you, Jesus. We say yes to you, God, as the rewarder. We say yes to you, Holy Spirit, as comforter and advocate. Come and fill this room. Come and fill your people right now. Not just a little, but overflow. We don't want some. We want all. We recognize you. We recognize you, Jesus. We bless your name. Amen.
For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahalama. Aloha.